Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, November 12th, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Getting close here to the end of the book of Hebrews, and while you're turning there, I just want to um, just mention how, um, considering, you know, last night uh, with, the, you know, our time together with our meal, and uh, with Jimmy and Scott coming to speak to us on anxiety and depression and, you know, other things, just, uh, just want to say... From my perspective, you know, I always say it's one of my favorite times of the year, whether it's last night or whether it was last year or the year before. And those of you who have come know what I'm talking about. But just what a um, blessing to have, you know, folks like Jimmy and Scott as elders who are able to do that. And, and not just them, but others in our body as well who could, who could do that. But just what a blessing to have such depth and such, these guys put a lot of time and effort into that. I don't know how far back, but they, you know, starting particularly from the first of the year, reading all these books they read, and then they have to narrow that down to just a tiny little bit, but what a blessing. And so please don't um, overlook that or take them for granted in all the time they spend to do that. Um, and so just want to praise God for that. It was, it was, very, it was very good, no, no matter whether you are someone who deals with anxiety and depression directly in your life or whether you whether we learn how to deal with others it's there it's here and so it was it was good guys thank you guys for doing that Hebrews 13 today we'll be in verses 20 to 21 I'll give you the title of the sermon and then um, we'll read it and pray and get started so the, the title is the work of the triune God so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The work of the triune God in the gospel of grace. That's the title. So with that in mind, let me read verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning with this short prayer, my prayer for us and myself. As we approach these words, Father, these are the words of life. We need them. And we're gathered here. It's one of the things we do. We sing, we pray, we fellowship. We, we do lots of things, but we also gather to hear the word preached and taught. And these are the words of life. <clears throat> and we need your help. I pray that even in the promise of these verses here, um, the implication that the Holy Spirit is working in us. Father, may we, <clears throat> may we understand these words. I pray that the gospel would be preached. I pray that 
Jesus would increase, that I would decrease, that all of us would look unto him, that he, we would find him more beautiful, and that we would find help today. I pray, Father, as always, Father, as a sinner, in spite of me, and I know you do, you work through anybody who opens your word, but we trust in you. This sermon is not about me, it's not about us, it's about you, and I just pray that you would work in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So throughout this letter to the Hebrews, we've seen the great plan of God to fulfill all of his promises in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this letter, we have seen the plan of God to move <clears throat> from the old covenant to the new as having been fulfilled in Christ. We've seen that Jesus is superior to the angels. He is superior to Moses. He is superior, superior to Joshua. He is superior to the high priest of their day and the priest of the old covenants. And we have been exhorted from a pastor, <clears throat> not from me, but from these words from this pastor, to look unto Christ, where all of God's blessings come down to us. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing today when we gather. We have been warned in this book against unbelief. We have been warned against falling away, which is often displayed as those, even many today in the church who, who, who name the name of Christ, but yet regularly neglect the gathering together of God's people. That's just a sign of something deeper. We've been warned of that in this book. And so this is a great letter for us. Today, we come to the author's close, but to the last words. And really, these words today in verses 21, 20 and 21 are a summary of everything that he has said before and everything about the, what God has done. And look at verse 20, the eternal covenant. So this is a summary of what God has done in the eternal covenant. And so for us today... The working out of this eternal covenant is also called, we, we call it the gospel, the good news. The book of Hebrews is one way of presenting this gospel. You can read it in many other ways, but it's all the same. It's the gospel. And so I think of Romans 8, 28. We quote it often. God works all things for his people's good. Well, he does this. In and through the gospel of Christ, which is the eternal plan of God to save his people and do good to his people forever. How glorious today that we sing about such a God. So if you are a Christian today here, you are here today because of God's special grace in the gospel. Listen to the full words of Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. All things. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in the gospel of grace, we have the purpose and plan of God the Father in this text, 
then we see this plan carried out through God the Son. And then we've, in His plan, we find it applied, all of this plan applied in our hearts, in our lives, through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, with that introduction, with that in mind, I have three parts to this sermon, three truths to this sermon as we consider the overall umbrella of the grace of God in the gospel. So what is the grace of God in the gospel and how does it come down to us? Here's my three truths. And they're just separated out. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So here they are. Number one, God the Father is the fountain of divine grace. Number two, God the Son is the channel of divine grace that comes down to us. And then finally, God the Holy Spirit is the nature of divine grace. And I'll have to say that I was helped tremendously with these terms um, or thinking about it like this this week as I read A.W. Pink. But let's begin. When we think about the gospel of grace coming down to us, number one, God the Father is the fountain of divine grace. So in our verses, God the Father is described here as the source of divine grace. Verse 20, look with me. He raises Jesus from the dead. And this according to His eternal covenant. And then verse 21. He equips us for every good work. And then all of this pleases Him. And forever He receives the glory for this great work. So in this way... God is, is described as, or we can think about a, a fountain. I think of just the fountain, the water's coming up from somewhere, comes up through the fountain, and then what does it do? Then it comes down and just flows over. I've often thought of the big fountain down at, uh, down at Charleston, jumping in that thing with that fountain coming down. We can all picture a fountain. I can also think of the, the natural springs that are all over the world. They're around here. But particularly when we lived in Russia, the, the springs of Tatarstan, they were everywhere. Every village had one, a spring. And it just continued to come and flow and flow and come and go and just provide for people. Well, in the same kind of way, God the Father is the fountain, the fountain of divine grace. We sing this, praise God from whom all blessings flow, God the Father. Now, when we think of divine grace, we think of blessings that come down from the fountain. But the blessings of God come down to us in the context of hostility. We live in an evil world, do we not? It's hostile. As we look around, what do we see? We see sin, we see death, we see heartache, we see anxiety, we see depression, we see on and on, and we see all of the evils of this world. We see, and when we think about hostility in this world, we see a lack of peace. Yet, here in these verses, God is described, look at verse 20, now may the God of peace he is described as a God of peace. And this peace is connected, look there in verse 20, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see a connection here. So let's think about this, this thought a little bit further. We think about peace 
And we think about the resurrection of Christ from the dead. From the context of Hebrews. Look over at chapter 12, verse 23. We've got to go back. And we've done this often. This will not be new to us. But look at verse, <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 23. He is called, God is called the judge to God, the judge of all. Here, God is the judge of all. He is not described as a judge of a lower magistrate. He is not described as a, as a judge of, he's not the judge on the Supreme Court. He is called the judge of what? All. No one is, no one is above him. And by what standard does God judge? We know the answer to this. He judges by his own character, his own holiness, his own perfection. God is holy and he cannot do anything wrong. He is always right. He's always just in all of his judgments. As hard as we might think or get upset with God that God has done this to me or whatever, God is always right, okay? We live in a sinful world that is not full of peace. It is full of hostility. God is right. And he is the judge. Let's think back even further, thinking of this context of God being the judge. In the Garden of Eden, he commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the good of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They disobeyed. And what was God's verdict as the judge? He said, put his gavel, heavenly gavel down, you are guilty. And the punishment, and the just punishment for disobedience to a holy God is what? Death. We did not come up with this verdict. We would not have come up with this verdict. I would not have. God did. And His judgments are always right. Now, Adam and Eve didn't die physically immediately, did they? They lived for a long time. But what happened? when God pronounced this judgment of death upon them. Yes, they would die one day, but they were separated from their source of life. Just like me, I always tell my kids, just pull off a, a rose, there you got it, put it in water, live for a while, but it will die because you can't put it back. That's what happened to, to Adam and Eve. They were guilty, and God the judge, he pronounced this verdict. They were thrown out of God's presence from the Garden of Eden that He had prepared for them. And they were basically, for the rest of their life, awaiting, eventually, death, judgment. They were waiting. And in this judgment, though, in this separation, God the ju judge, He does something that took away their peace. So that's where I'm going with this, with hostility in this world. God took away their peace. Well, it was something that came naturally because of this. But the Bible says, to go back and he talks to Satan there in Genesis 3, but he puts, the, the, the King James uses the word, I think, enmity between, between people. But even more importantly, he puts an enmity between himself and sinful men and women. Apostle Paul in the ESV calls this hostility. That's where I get my word hostile. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 
For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So that goes much deeper than just having a temper tantrum, okay? We're talking about enmity, hostility that exists between God and sinful men. Adam and Eve broke God's law, and as sinners, they were guilty. And so instead of peace, as we are the recipients of that, as children of Adam and Eve, eventually, we are the recipients. There is now hostility, and this hostility flows from between God and us, but it also flows down to our relationships together. Hostility everywhere. The judge has been offended, and we have broken God's laws. Look at chapter 12. Or turn over there with me of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. Speaking about the law, that's what this is talking about. The law of Moses, law given to Moses. Notice the enmity, the hostility, the fear, the lack of peace when someone stands before a holy God. It says there, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The greatest, most humble, godly man of his time, he says, I tremble with fear. This is enmity, brothers and sisters. This is hostility. And where there is enmity, where there is hostility, there is no peace between God and men. Yet, for Christians, those who find themselves on the, on the right side of this eternal covenant, what do we find in Christ? We find peace. If you are a Christian, you have peace. Now, why is this? Why do you have peace when you come and you sit here on Sunday morning and you go home this afternoon through the midst of what's going on, through everything, and you have peace in your heart. We find peace because we have a mediator between God and man, between a holy God and sinful men who has fulfilled all the righteous requirements of God's law handed down in the law of Moses and further back. One who has done this and one who has lived a perfect life, obeying the law of God in his heart and in his, all of his actions, and then he laid down his life as a sacrifice. So in this, in this sacrifice, the Bible says that Christ bore our sins. He took them upon himself. He took them away. What's our theological term for taking our sins away? It starts with an E. E-X. E-X-P. Expiation. He takes them away, okay? That's what Christ does on the cross. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And that's not all. He doesn't just merely take away our sins in his sacrifice. In his sacrifice also on the cross, he also takes away the wrath that comes down, the enmity, the hostility that our sins deserve from God's perspective coming down to us. So God's wrath is taken away. It's appeased. What's the theological term for that? We used that a couple times here recently. It's not EXP. It's P-R-O-P. Propitiation. That's a big word again. But it just means God's wrath being appeased from His side, from His perspective. So Christ takes away our sins, but He also takes away the wrath of God. Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. And then in verses 24 and 25, we are justified. God, the judge, that's a forensic term. It's a court of law, judge. God, the judge, says, Paul says about him, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of grace. The work of redemption flowing down, the fountain coming down from God the Father in the eternal covenant, which our verse speaks of here, displayed in the cross of Christ, in the the atonement of Christ. But there is more. Notice also here that our peace, and what I said earlier, is tied to the resurrection of Christ. Verse 20, look there with me. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. In the atonement, or the death of Christ, yes, our sins are taken away. And yes, The wrath of God that comes down to us is taken away. But if we were just merely to stop with the cross and with the atonement and we finish there, what what would be missing from that? Well, it would be life. If you remember, go back to the Garden of Eden. Think of an illustration of tearing the rose petals off, the rose bush, it's separated from what? It's source of life. God must do something about death, not just taking away our sins, not just taking away the the wrath that we deserve. God must also overcome death. Death must be conquered if this eternal covenant is to be worked out. Just think about it. As long as Christ, even if He went to the cross and He took away our sins and wrath of God is diverted or it's taken upon Himself, what if He were to stay in the grave? Well, as long as Christ were to stay in the grave, He would still be under, He would still be like a prisoner, wouldn't He? Under divine arrest. He must be 
released from prison. Let me ask, what benefit does a criminal have if he is acquitted, but he never gets out of prison? What benefit? Brothers and sisters, there is no peace if our Lord Jesus stays in the grave. But we know the story. He did not stay in the grave after three days. He rose again. And God sent an angel, the Bible tells us, to roll away the stone. Today, we are Christians who serve a risen Lord. He is risen from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus is God's stamp upon all of those things I just shared, upon everything that he did in his son in sending him here in the incarnation and his death on the cross. His resurrection is God's stamp upon everything that he did. Paul says this, Romans 4, 25. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what this means basically is that not only are our sins taken away in the cross, the wrath of God has been appeased, but it also means that Christ was raised from the dead and he's conquered life. And so, if we want to keep going with this, and we will at the end, we also will be given this life. And it has begun already, how? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is life, who brings life to us. Christians have life because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Christ did not give the Spirit until after the resurrection, and then His ascension to the right hand of the Father. So for us... This means there is no peace outside of the gospel of Christ. There is no blood, as our text speaks of, that can atone for sins except the blood of Christ. It's not that Christ's blood was any different than ours. He was a man. But as a man, in his heart and in his actions, he lived a perfect life. Therefore, his death was sufficient. That's why... John could not die for your sins, or Jimmy could not die for your sins. We cannot do that because we are sinners. We might lay our life down for, as a friend, but we cannot atone. We cannot take away sins. This means there is no life this world can give unless it comes through the power of the resurrected Christ who died for our sins. The gospel secures for us so many things, but it begins with, Go back to look back here at verse 20. Now may the God of who? Peace. Do we not sing? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Peace. I remember when I became a Christian. Peace. I mean, I wasn't thinking about it at the time. When I think back, that's what I had. And some of you who grew, grew up in Christian homes and you made professions, you really don't even know a time when you, when you were not a Christian. But you do know that the peace of God is there, no matter what is going on. Why? Because all that enmity now is gone. The hostility is gone. It's still, it's still there in the world, but it is gone because of the gospel. You remember what Jesus said right before he went to the cross? He says in John 14, which are some of his last words there, the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what he says. He says, 
or actually before the Garden of Gethsemane, right at the Lord's Supper. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I, leave, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Brothers and sisters, if, if you are looking to find peace from this world, you will not find it. It is, you can search forever, but you, and you can try to, to appease that hostility by good works or, or, or some, you know, addictions to something or trying to be, you know, good to your family or coming to church or, or crawling up as Martin Luther did up the steps of the Vatican, whatever. You can do it all, but peace will not come to your heart unless it comes down to you from the fountain, God the Father in the gospel, applied to your heart by the Spirit. And so Jesus says, my peace I leave to you. It's not as the world gives. So I know that's, a, that's the longest point for today. All three of the points are not that long. But let me end this truth. God is the fountain of this. Just about the God of peace. Just a couple applications. One application. And I've just said this. But there is no peace for the wicked. There is no lasting peace in this world. If you are not a Christian today, all you have to look forward to forever and ever and ever is enmity and hostility in your heart. That's what you have to look forward to. But for the Christian, this enmity is taken away. Another application. As Christians, I'm speaking to Christians now, we must be instruments of peace in this world. Um, and that doesn't just mean that we just try to get along with everybody. Um, we are salt. We are light. Matthew 5, go read Matthew 5. We are blessed are the peacemakers. So as much as possible, we must live at peace with all people. But how do we bring peace to other people's hearts? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So in our salt, in our light, we don't, only live, we don't just live differently. We, we share and we tell people and we invite them to church and we invite them to the missions banquet. And we, it's what we do. And then we, we just try to be faithful in those ways. So we are peacemakers. Now, no, final application here. In another context, Jesus says clearly, Matthew 10, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Have you read that? Well, that needs context. What he's saying is, what happened to all of the apostles? They were all martyred, were they not? What happens in your families when you profess Christ and your mother or your father or your uncle or your cousin or your sister or your brother is dead against what you have professed? Is that peaceful? No, that's what Jesus means by those words. You have peace. They do, that, that hostility that is there causes them to not like what you are doing. And so keep that in mind. Let's move on to part number two. Move from God the Father who is the fountain. Number two. God the Son is the channel of divine grace. So our text here says that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. Look there with me at verse 
20. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, in the context of Hebrews, the author spends a lot of time talking about Moses, who is the great leader. They would have considered Moses to be the great shepherd because he, he led and he shepherded God's people out of Israel. He is the, in that context, Moses was the channel. God went to Moses and said, you will lead my people out of Egypt. And so everything God did, he did through Moses, we, as we spoke about earlier, the mediator, but through this shepherd. But Moses, he was a great man and he was, he was the most meek and the most humble. But we are all the same to Moses. He was still one born from Adam. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Moses was there to do what? To picture for us the true shepherd who would come one day. So let me ask a question. What does a shepherd do? I mean, think of a shepherd. There's sheep. There's a shepherd with a staff out on the green hillside leading these sheep. Jimmy, you mentioned last night that one of your favorite verses in different times of your life, and for all of us, I think, this same verses, Psalm 23. I'm curious, how many people have memorized Psalm 23? Wow, we probably got half of us in here. I would, I would, I would say memorize it. It is such a good psalm, but I'm just going to read through it. Here's what a shepherd does, just taken from these words. We read, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> want. So much here. But what does a shepherd do? He provides for the needs of his sheep. It's like a mother providing, you know, food for her, for her child. Provides so there is no need there. He makes me lie down in green pastures. <laughs> he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is what... The Lord does. We don't do this for people. God does this. I can't restore someone's soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So a shepherd looks out for the good of his sheep. And he cares about them as he leads them. <clears throat> because his own name as a shepherd, a good shepherd, is at stake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here we see also that the shepherd protects the sheep. <clears throat> he also gives comfort to the sheep. When one is sick, he tends for it. Whatever, whatever the comforts they need, he does. And, and the blessings of the leadership of the shepherd are abundant. So much more than what I can say this morning. In all of these ways, brothers and sisters, and more, Jesus is the shepherd of our souls and our, our bodies. He is the shepherd. Now, when speaking of the great shepherd, our author He's taking this from the Old Testament, which is what, what he does all throughout the book of Hebrews. I love it. The Old Testament is, is just full, and he's just taking Old Testament pictures 
and making them, putting them in, showing that they're fulfilled in Christ. But here, there, there's, there's plenty of places that speak of a shepherd who would come one day. Let me read a few verses. Listen to these verses with me. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules before Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. And then we know this is speaking of the, the greater David. As David is also a picture of the shepherd. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So today, as Christians, as we sit here, because of Jesus coming in the flesh, his death, his resurrection, he is the great shepherd of his people. He is your shepherd. So let me ask, what makes a good shepherd? When you think about that in your life, what makes a good shepherd? Would it be leading the sheep? Would you say something else? Or would it be serving the sheep? What do you think? Being a good shepherd, leading or serving? Well, it's kind of a trick question because it's both. In fact, the Bible makes clear that the one who leads will be the one who does what? Who serves. Servant leadership. So if you will be a good shepherd in whatever roles you have, you will serve, you will serve the sheep. And this is leadership. So, for example, parents. If you are a parent, if you will be a good shepherd... You will lead your children in the examples that we have it's from Psalm 23. You will lead them. You will serve them through leadership. Think of fathers. If you're going to lead your wives, you're going to lead your family, what are you going to do? You're going to serve them. You're going to think of them first. And you're going to provide for them everything they need. Not just physical, husbands. Fathers, you will provide everything they need, particularly spiritual things. So parents, if you will lead your children, mothers, if you will lead your children, you will still serve them. I think about friends. I mean, if you want to be a good friend, don't always be the one who's gimme, gimme, gimme. Look at me, look at me, look at me. No, you will be the friend who serves your friend. These are all just examples. Children, if you look up here at me. Children, if you're under 10 years old, 12 years old, how do you, how do you, how should you act in your families? You should serve your, your brothers and sisters and your parents. And you should ask them, what can I do today to help you serve? This is what we do. This is, this is what Jesus did. And, and when we think about Jesus, being the great shepherd, how does he serve us the most? Well, lots of benefits from the Lord's, from, the, from what we read in Psalm 23. But I think of Mark 10, 45. These are the words of Jesus. In the context of serving, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man, he's talking of himself, 
came not to be served, but to do what? To serve, and the rest of the verse, and give his life a ransom for many. This is what Jesus has done. And in this way, in the giving of his life and carrying out the plan of God, God is the fountain, but Jesus, he is the channel. He is the great shepherd. Now, there are three main passages in the New Testament that speak about Jesus as a shepherd. John 10. Go read that. I read that again this morning and this week. This John 10, Jesus is emphasizing, though, how he would serve by going to the cross. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 1 Peter 5, 4 is the second big text there on the speaking of the shepherd. But in this context, he's speaking about the resurrection. He says this, 1 Peter 5, 4, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Our final passage is the one we're reading this morning, Hebrews 13, 20, with a particular emphasis also on the cross, but the the, the blood that was shed, not the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of the perfect Son of Man. So today, as we come as Christians today, Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd. He is the Great Shepherd. He is the only Shepherd. And because of who He is, what He has done, He is the, as Paul says in Ephesians, He is the head of the church. And one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. So Jesus is the great shepherd. Now, to finish up this truth, let me just give a couple more applications. I mentioned this in the first one. Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. He doesn't shepherd the goats. In fact, Matthew 25, He speaks about separating, doesn't He? The sheep from the goats. So this means that today, if you are a Christian, He is shepherding you. The Lord Jesus is your shepherd. And all the things that we read, the reason that Psalm 23 brought so much help to Jimmy in his, in, in his examples last night was because Jesus was your shepherd. Otherwise, you wouldn't have got it. So if you are a Christian today, all the things we just read in Psalm 23 are yours and He is doing this for you, and He will do it always for you. If you are not a Christian, He is not your shepherd. And all the things that we read in Psalm 23 are not for you, which, if you'll really be honest, you'll know that there is no peace in your heart. I, I remember weeks, and, it, and God works. He works in ways... And He brings people along at different times. And we cannot take credit for salvation. I cannot argue you into the kingdom this morning. But I remember back and just thinking for weeks before, laying in my bed at night, no peace. I looked at my life and I saw the sin. And I saw the hypocrisy. And I saw the lack of repentance. And I saw all the things that I was trying to make myself good and try to make myself look good in front of my peers particularly those who called themselves Christians and who were Christians. But there was no peace. So if you are not a Christian, the Lord Jesus is not your shepherd. And so I would urge you, 
to just repent. The things I've preached this morning, if you've understood them, trust Christ as the sacrifice, as the one who went to the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and just trust in Him. If you are a Christian, then I would say just trust Christ more. Look unto Him more and find everything this Word has for you because He's going to communicate by the Spirit, but it comes down to us very clearly through the written Word. One more, one more comment, an implication that I get from this text. As those of us who are doing the children's catechism, we say, uh, you know, what, who is God? And there's seven things there. God is the Spirit, good God, wise God, holy God, mighty God, merciful God, righteous judge of all men. Right, guys? Okay. God is spirit. How can God as spirit be our shepherd? He can't. Now, what could he do? That's a great mystery. But that is the beauty of the sending of the Son. And we're getting ready to celebrate and start singing Christmas songs. Emmanuel, God with us. So we as Christians, what? Wow, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Son of Man, in the flesh, to be with us. Finally this morning, and this is the shortest truth, just because of, of time, I could have kept going on this one, but God the Holy Spirit is the nature of divine grace. Look at verse 21. <clears throat> the author of Hebrews says, Now may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever in other words think back to our truths because the work of the father as the fountain of divine grace because of the work of the son as the channel as the great shepherd of divine grace we have been given, as Christians, the Spirit to apply all these things to our lives. This is really the work of sanctification in our lives. There's another big word, expiation, propitiation, sanctification. It's God working in us and us working alongside of God to be holy. But I'm particularly talking about the, the essence, the nature of that power. For Christians living in this world... This is one of the sure blessings. It's not as if someone can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit because it is His promise. So what God begins in you, as we read Romans 8, 28 to 30, what He begins, He will finish. And what is your, I would say, your calling as a Christian, practically in your life? What is it? It is to be holy. I mean, we could say a lot of other things, but it is practically to be holy, to be godly. And so what God commands when He says, when we read the New Testament, read the Old Testament, read the Bible, we see Jesus says, as you go, make disciples, teaching them to what? Obey all of His commands, all of my commands. So that's what we do. But God is not going to call you and justify you and sanctify you in His great work through the fountain coming down through the work and channel of the Son if He's not going to 
make it effective so that you can actually do what he commands you to do. And so if, you are, if, you, if you're looking at it from a father's perfect perspective and you read about what it means to be a good father, we can trust that God has given. If, if you're a Christian, he'll, over a period of time, you know, we're all in these little small time periods and we all have our downs. Sometimes downs can be years. We don't know. Through it all, Hebrews 11, faith. But if you're a father, you can rest assured this morning that God will give you grace to be a good father. If you are a mother, God will give you grace to be a good mother. If you are children in your households, to be obedient, good workers, whatever, our, whatever we're doing, God will give you the commands. I mean, give you the, the, the spirit to carry out his commands. This is power. Look at verse 21 again. He will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. He works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And this comes down to us as we've shared. The fountain through the Son, to whom will be glory forever and ever. So let me remind us of this truth with some verses as I start to close this sermon out. John 15, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he says to his disciples and he says to us, I'm going away, but when I go, I will send the Helper. And he will lead you into all truth. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Hopefully you've memorized those, particularly 8 and 9. But for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. But verse 10. For we, that's us, are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Could that not be the eternal covenant? Of course it is. It's the gospel that we should walk in them. This was, we are his workmanship. So God is, it's like we're in his workshop. He is the one working on us. This means that he's working in us. And this, how does he do it? What's the third point? God the Father, God the Son, by the Spirit. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this. So, you can say this this morning. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will do what? Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a day coming. Many days, but the day is coming, and God will work in you until that day. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellency. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God. Here's the will of God. Your sanctification. So if you are a Christian today, what will come out of your life over a period of time? It's not rocket science. What will come? Not because you're working it out yourself, but if you call yourself a Christian and there is no godliness, let's just move that over 30 years, okay, guys? 20 years, 10 years. There is not working of God that just, I just, I, just looking at my own life, I, I feel like I have been down for a long time now. Just 
my affections and I'm praying God help my, you know, my, my affections. But still, I pray and I hope. And I can just, all I can do at the end of the day is fall upon the mercy of God and His promises in Christ to save me. But I see all of my sins. But I hope and I pray that when you see me, that at least you'll see some growth over a period of time in godliness. So are you growing in godliness? Because this is the will of God. And it doesn't look back at our verse again. Now may the God of peace do this. Quip you, working in you what is pleasing in His sight. In the context of Hebrews, the author is saying in conclusion, you can obey the commands of Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, this is an implication from here, but it's very clear. This is the power of the Holy Spirit as divine grace. So, everything you need, everything we need for life and godliness, everything, nothing is left out. Father is the fountain, Son is the channel, and the Holy Spirit is the nature that works in these things. So, in conclusion, let me read our verses again. Now, for us, if you are a Christian today, now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these, these words again this morning. I pray that the gospel of Christ, the eternal covenant worked out from before the foundations of the world, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and your great plan of the gospel, of the eternal covenant, of divine grace, of different ways of saying the same thing. Father, I pray that you would just give us great grace to understand these things and to live accordingly. Help our affections, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. I pray these words would be helpful to us today and this week until we come back together. I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.